0: Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D H A R M A Media.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations. Z, this week you and I have been talking about a fine balance, and this is a very personal topic for me. It's something that I've experienced this week. The idea is the following, that we go through life, at times we're innovative, at times we're disruptive. We have ideas that we can bring to life that no one else has seen. So think about starting a new business, working on a piece of music, a piece of art, we're taking something in our mind and we're bringing that into reality. And it's a vision that the world has never experienced by definition. If someone had experienced it, it would already be there. So we're trying to do something that doesn't exist, move in a different direction. And the challenge of doing that is, on the one hand, we want feedback. We want critique. Z, you and I have talked in the past about the importance of critique And how even a dog can drop a bar of gold in front of your feet. So the most unlikely people can say things that are incredibly profound. They can sharpen our understanding. They can help us achieve our objectives. So on the one hand, you would say the more critique, the better. On the other hand, we have to recognize the limits of that critique and the limits of other people's opinions. Because they can't be inside our head. If we're trying to bring something new to bear, we've got a certain vision, a certain idea, which is different from what other people have experienced, is different from what they can conceive, is different from what they imagine. So any feedback they give us is going to be limited. It's going to be limited by their vision of reality, uh, what they've done in the past, how they would try and accomplish whatever we're trying to accomplish. Uh, maybe it's limited by their experience with us. So maybe it has nothing to do with the idea, but it could be that they see us in a certain way and they don't want us to take risk or they don't see us as entrepreneurs or artists or whatever it may be. So we've got these competing tensions. On the one hand, we want the criticism to improve ourselves, sharpen ourselves. On the other hand, we can't take it too seriously because if we do... We're not going to follow our truth, our vision. We're going to get derailed. And ultimately, people aren't able to see what we can see. Uh, So again, there's always a limit to the input that they can provide. So the fine balance really refers to that tension. How do we manage between those two extremes? On the one extreme, we might say, you know what, Z, I don't give a shit what you have to say. I've got my belief I know what i'm going to do and i'm going to go forward the world be damned and maybe we do that and it works out or maybe we learn some hard lessons because we failed to take some sensible advice on the other hand the other extreme is that we're extremely sensitive to critique and every time we hear something we reassess what we're doing we change that vision we dilute it we try and turn it into something else and we never really move forward so clearly we don't want to be at either end of the spectrum But the question, number one, is where do we want to be within that spectrum? Maybe it's the middle path. Two, and perhaps more difficult, how do we walk that middle path? Uh, Because the mind, by its nature, seeks certainty. It seeks answers. And a lot of times, if we get critique and it's at odds with our own vision, yeah, maybe some of it we can incorporate, but some of it sits with us. Some of it we might not know what to do with. Uh, Maybe it's something that we just haven't experienced, we can't relate to, even if it is valid. And if we start taking it too seriously, it can undermine our confidence, it can prevent us from moving forward, it can really destroy the integrity of whatever we're trying to build. So that's the topic for today, Z. And to kick off, let's get your thoughts. Uh, What are your thoughts on this topic? And how can we think about walking that middle path, maintaining that fine balance?
1: Well, for one thing, Vin, I love the title. The Fine Balance is the title of one of my favorite books by Rohinton Mystery. It's a long book. You've read it. Uh, your mom's read it. Everybody has a different opinion. And using that as a, uh, as a push-off point, I read A Fine Balance uh, probably 20 years ago, uh, maybe more when it came out. It was the number one book at the time. I was immersed in it, 400 and something pages. I couldn't put the book down. And for the last couple of decades, I've told people it's one of the greatest books I've ever read. So I reread the book 20 years later. It's one of the most disturbing books I've ever read. Same words, same book. It left me sad, it left me disturbed. I loved it, but I thought about how different I felt about the book 20 years later, and how I've changed in 20 years, how my worldview has changed, a fine balance. I watch people go through their journeys of self-growth. And how many times do we stop them if they look for us for any form of validation, large or small, or even support? How many times have we withdrawn support from people because we just don't believe in them? Or are we offered kind of lukewarm support because we just don't believe in them or they don't believe in us? I've shared with you a few times with my six-year-old. He loves to build things, elaborate tracks for his cars and things like that. And and I I remember a time he was building one of his race car tracks and he had it going straight up the wall and then a 180-degree turn. I've told this story before, and it applies to right now. And I told him it just won't work. Here are the laws of physics, here's gravity. Here's your experience as a friggin' six-year-old. It won't work. Why don't you just put it on the floor and just follow the instructions on the box and you can just have fun all night and not bother me. You play with the toy all night till you fall asleep. He says, no, Ba, I had a picture in my mind. And I want the cars to go up the wall, turn on the wall, and come down. So I said, OK, I'm not going to totally abuse the child's creativity. But I hate to see him disappointed. Life doesn't work this way. It violates the laws of physics. So I leave the room for a moment. I come back and I hear this swish, swish sound, which is the cars making it all the way around the track. They go up the wall, turn the 180-degree curve, and comes down. He says, yeah, but if I hold the speed controller at just the right speed, right before they fall, they hit the middle of the track, and they come back down. I said, so you can do that, huh? I said, yep, that's my boy. I told you so. You're great. And I bragged about it. I took pictures of the track and was so proud of the creative engineering ability he had inherited from me. I took full credit for his visionary abilities. So I was a naysayer. Right, because my world it didn't things didn't work that way. And I projected onto him, I would hate for him to be disappointed. So though I didn't stop him from doing it, I didn't offer him enthusiastic support. In our life, we'll have things like that. As you go onto your spoken word venture, you are extraordinarily gifted at what you do. Yet you encounter many people in your pursuits at this point in your life who have known you a certain way for such a long time that anything you do is building a track up a 90-degree wall, making a 180-degree turn, turning back down, and and continuing on without mishap. It looks impossible because there's already a framed idea, a vision of you that they see. That's not all of you. It's not the whole of you. And my God, we should be hungry for critique and criticism from professionals, which is what we're doing, right? Find professionals with skill sets that support your approach. I know people in the research field who look for breakthroughs in various types of research. I I had a professor who had invented a way of, of, of bonding titanium together, welding titanium and we said do it, they, no, the only way you could do it is to mold it. Mold joints together, and fuse them a certain way. And he said, no, there's another way. And now it's very common to see titanium welded and, 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 and basically different metals welded together. He invented that technique. But he talked about how he had no support doing it. It came out of his own pocket. And he didn't do it. As a, as a form of wealth building. He did it because he was curious. He wanted to push the envelopes of his own brilliance and creativity and inquisitiveness. And all along the way, up until the point, he presented his findings. He was denied funding. He was denied support. He was even lambasted for the attempt by metallurgists. Recently, I've been reading these books. As you know, I've been really getting into all the research on the human brain. And a very good friend and client just sent me a critical um, article on one of the, the books, on one of the doctors. And they said, well, this guy is doing brain scans and, and mapping the human brain to see psychological problems. He shouldn't do that um, because he's putting radiation in their body. and." went on and on and I said wow you could say that about dentists dentists put radiation in your body every time they look at your teeth Um, when they do x-rays there's all sorts of medical services that expose you to various levels of hopefully safe levels of radiation for the sake of mitigating suffering why would you say that why wouldn't you use that same argument for all use of radiation why him exploring the workings of the human brain and mapping the function of the brain. And it was just an interesting way of, of just robbing or, or pulling away support for something that's different. It's not harmful. It's not hurting anyone. It's trying to push the envelope of our understanding of ourselves and our world. It's offering an opening for people to be as creative as possible. When and, and, and it's always that way. I've seen that it's always been that way, and I'm not sure why. Why we withdraw support, why we withdraw the both emotional, spiritual, material support from people that inevitably pushed and advanced the human condition. I was just talking to Caitlin about how they're still looking for Amelia Earhart. There's whole books written, hundreds of books written about what made Amelia Earhart's disappearance so interesting compared to everyone else's disappearance. A lot of people have disappeared at sea. A lot of planes have crashed, have never been found. A lot of people have left home and never came back. Why her? Well, at the time she left, she was a female aviator. More people wanted to prove that women couldn't fly than anything. They needed to know. Many people searched for her remains to, to have a morbid display of the failures of women in aeronautics. Others were hoping to find it to prove that, you know what, the best place for a woman is at home in the kitchen. And both those who support and those who deny her support are looking for her to prove a point. Why her and not anybody else? Thousands of people have been lost at Sea Disappeared. Obsession. So whenever people are not doing what we want them to do, we want to weigh that whenever we offer them critique, both the giver and the receiver of the critique. When I first heard rap music, I thought it was just a mess. I just thought it was just garbage. And strangely as life would have it, I ended up in the music business working in an administrative capacity and security. And I got to know people who did the music and I've been a fan ever since. I used to look at Picasso's artwork and think it was just the uh, scribblings of a maniac. Then I read his book and I love Picasso. I remember people would hear the melodies of African drums they say it says, sounds like apes beating on logs. That's what they used to say. And now neuroscience has found that the beating of drums resets the algorithms of the human brain. It helps with the landscape of the brain. It clarifies markers in the brain. A rhythmic pulse. All babies in utero move pleasantly to the beat of drums when they are healthy. Isn't that interesting? But to someone who maybe has a disdain or indifference towards the culture and whatever Africa represents, it's just apes beating on logs. And they would discourage anyone from pursuing the study of drum. Many parents, I know my own mother, when I was a kid, I wanted to play the saxophone, the alto sax, because I loved John Coltrane music and uh, Larry Bird, and I just, I love the music. And around the corner from my home was one of the people that played drums with uh, Charlie Parker, things like that. My mother says, no, you, you can't play the saxophone. It's drug addicts play the saxophone. We don't do that. So, But I am going to take you to piano lessons and learn how to play piano. I never got past chopsticks. I hated it, so I dreaded it. I, 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 I didn't want to do it. And so this kind of... Withdrawing of support because people don't fit who we believe them to be. And then it taints our criticism. It becomes vicious, slighting, hard hearted. I regret that I ever told my son that he couldn't build. I've left him alone since then. He's built all kind of elaborate things around the house. Who do who knows the expanse of a brain, of a human being? Who knows the visions of another? Maybe you can do it. There was a young woman who is the mother of two children who just ran the second fastest hundred meters in history for a woman. Shelly Ann Frazier Price. A mother of two figured out a way to train in between nursing babies, studied her stride, studied her track and field, worked on her reaction time while swaddling children. And as now she is the fastest woman in the world. And there's a possibility that she will break what is considered an unbreakable record. She talked about being up alone in the morning, and I remember years ago meeting Flojo and asking her, how did you do it? How did you run 10-4-9? Damn near fast enough to make the men's Olympic team. And she said one year she had lost a world championship race by a small margin. And after the race, she felt that she wasn't really that tired. That She felt that if she really gave it all, she would be exhausted. So she said she hung pictures around her house and everywhere of people she admired, great people. And she imitated them in her behavior, her intensity, and her sincerity. What would they do? So she found herself leaving work, getting off work at night and getting a small rest and going and running. Remember back then people had to have regular jobs to compete in amateur sports. And she would train and train and go train with the fellas and whoever was fast would work out with her. And she worked on all her flaws and she would take critique from different people. And then she stepped out on the track one day. She ran so fast that her record is now almost 35 years old. She ran so fast because she visualized herself when no one else did. That fine balance between listening to criticism and following your heart. Think about where it will take you in this short life. What anxiety does it bring up? Will it bring us danger? Despair? What if you get up and leave your job? What if you try to work it out with your partner, make a better life? What if you pack up and leave the city, move to the country? What if? What if you go to people and you ask them, what do you think I should do? I know a young man going through marital issues, And his mother-in-law sends him hate mail every day. Because she was a divorced person. She's been single for 50 years. And she tells her daughter, that's the way life works. So she offers no constructive criticism for making a marriage work. She only offers destructive anecdote to dissuade her daughter from even trying to nurture our relationship. It's horrible. As we go on these different ventures in life, navigating the opinions and criticism of others, I, as I said, I've learned to really have an appetite for healthy, constructive critique. But I also am very clear on what I'm trying to do. If I want to learn more about the brain, I, I just immerse myself in books. I surround myself with neuroscientists, psychiatrists, psychologists. I go to my students and friends who are in the mental health field and I bounce it off of them. I have a dear student, Elena and Diane, they're both in the mental health field, and I go to them like, students, what do you think about this? What, what are your views? And sometimes they say, oh, well, we've heard of this, but we didn't hear that. It's just so inspiring but I'm looking for that critique of even my search. I don't need to hear negative things for the sake of negative. Let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. What about an artistic venture? Well, I'm not an artist, but I've I've learned a lot of things from the artists in my life. People always said no to artists. People always told them no. Until they succeed, then they say yes. Isn't that interesting? They always say no until they succeed. Rarely do they have support. I know my buddy that just passed away and the people that were working told me when they all lived five or six in a studio apartment on shifts as they were working on their hit. And one day, it hit. The right radio station got it, and away it went. I've heard this story over and over and over again and it, it's always a whisper in the back of my own mind as I am moving into this project we're working on with the Dharma media and people hovering around, not bad people, but people who have only a small concept of what we're doing and they like the little piece but they don't see the big piece. So they're reluctant to give their full support, to be all in. And I understand it. I have no ill will or malice in my heart for that. I totally understand that I think I can make it to Mars. I think I can do something different because they already made it to the moon. But since they made it to the moon in 69, we've been distracted with petty things on earth, petty wars, petty intercommunal battles that have drained the energy. So if you want to do something extraordinary, you have to take on the extraordinary isolation sometimes, the extraordinary hunger, the extraordinary loneliness. The extraordinary stress. It's a fine balance. You follow me, Ben?
0: I'm going to share something uh, that I've experienced, which is very similar to what you've been talking about. You talked about the art world and how people don't believe in you, they discourage you, they don't get it until something hits. And then all of a sudden, it's like people are jumping on the bandwagon and saying, wow, this is fantastic. This is such a common story. It's way beyond art. You see it in business all the time. When people want to start companies, they want to leave the, uh, the teat, the corporate teat, where they're getting a nice steady paycheck, and they want to go and do something on their own because either they want the freedom – or they've got the vision, and they want to work for themselves, they want to create something new. And oftentimes, the responses are exactly what you're saying. It's either, no, that's not going to work, or that's been done already, or it could be concern. So it could have more to do with the person than the idea. Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to put your family at risk? Why do you want to give up this nice, steady job? It's comfortable, it's safe, and it's weird because when people are going through the process, that's what we face, and that's why it makes it so difficult to do things that are innovative. Maybe there's not an inherent challenge. I mean, if you look at this perfectly objectively, a lot of times we're not sacrificing that much. We're not sacrificing our ability to eat. We're not sacrificing our personal safety. Maybe we have to change our lifestyle to a certain extent, but we can deal with it. We're not sacrificing our future options. Yes, we don't know how things are going to turn out, but we do know that life can move in different directions. If we believe in ourselves, if we know how to navigate this world, we'll be okay. We'll find some way to make things work, even if we have to adapt along the way. So The actual objective risk, in my mind, has never been that high. What seems to hold people back is just the weight of convention, the weight of expectation, uh, the weight of people telling you either, no, this isn't going to work, it's not a good idea, because they can't necessarily see the same things you can see, or they're concerned uh, for your safety, or they're concerned that you're going to succeed and leave them behind. (laughs) and That's going to upset their reality. How are you going to deal with that when your best friend who you hang out with on the weekend is suddenly some tech entrepreneur flying around the world. Where does that leave you? How does it make you feel about yourself? So there's all of this morass that we have to go through. Uh, There's the doubt. There are the voices. There's the weight of convention that we battle. And that's never talked about. What's talked about is the end result. So we see people who are successful and we admire them. And we hear these stories about the explorers who went to the new world and sacrificed everything. And we applaud that and we say, oh, wow, that's so great. Or we hear the stories about the people who developed billion-dollar companies and they were toiling away in their basement and they quit their job and they were taking out credit card loans. And we say, wow, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Or you even hear the story of Buddhism and the Buddha left his family. The, <laughs> the dude left his family. He left his wife and his kids In the middle of the night, so that he could go and find himself. And we look at that and we say, wow, what an incredible sacrifice. Uh, What single minded focus and determination. But you know what? If you were his family at that point in time or you were his father, you would have said, this is insane. Get your ass back in bed, fulfill your obligations, take care of your wife, raise your kids, rule this kingdom. Uh, We tell people who want to start companies, just focus on your day job. We tell the artists, that's not practical. So in my mind, it's really interesting. It's almost like we have rose-colored glasses on. Uh, Maybe that's not the right term, but we've got this ideal and this story about how we celebrate success and risk-taking and following your heart and your passion. But when it really comes down to it, the actual experience that people have is entirely different. And that's where today's topic, this fine balance, comes in. It's really if, as you say, Z, we're on the giving end of advice and critique, how do we do that in a way which is productive, in a way which recognizes our own limitations? We've talked about truth in the past. We've talked about vision. There's no one truth. At least there's not a truth that any one of us can fully grasp We only see facets. We only see pieces of the whole. So we need a certain humility in giving that criticism to acknowledge that maybe we're not seeing the full picture, and maybe we should temper the warnings that we're providing or the advice that we're conferring, similar to your experience with your son. Uh, We also need to check our motivations. Are we doing this really out of concern for the other person? Or are we doing this because we don't want our reality disrupted? Uh, we don't, we're afraid. We don't want someone to, to take risk. We just don't like the unfamiliar. And then on the receiving end, it becomes that question of how do we maintain conviction in ourselves? And I'll, I'll just share the experience that I went through this past week, which motivated some of this discussion. The spoken word for me, it's been great. I've been doing this now a year and a half, roughly, from the time I started until now. It's just gone very smoothly. It's been an adventure. It's been fun meeting different people. I feel like I've learned. I've grown. I've come up with a product that I'm really proud of and I believe in. And this week was the first time where I feel that I hit a bump in the road. I I talked to someone that I do have a lot of respect for and shared some of the work uh, with this person. And they've also got some background in music. Uh, uh, they do uh, rap. They put beats together. Uh, they work with other artists. Uh, so th- they have some expertise. And the, the feedback from uh, this person was not that he used these words, uh, but the message was what you're doing is terrible. It doesn't fit your vision. It's not going to inspire people. It's the wrong type of music. Uh, There's not the right synchronization between your voice and the music. Your message isn't going to get across. And I heard this, and I was confused. I was taken aback. I was shaken a bit. And it was interesting because I kind of went through all these arguments in my head. The rational part of me recognizes everything that we've been talking about. So the rational part of me knows that he's got a particular idea in mind. He's got a certain vision of how this is going to turn out. That's his vision. It's not my vision. So maybe some of what he says I can incorporate. The rest, maybe he just doesn't see what I see. Uh, Fine. That's number one. Uh, Number two, he's shared some of his music with me in the past. You know what? I never liked it. It never resonated with me. So why am I giving this so much weight if I don't even like the stuff that he's producing? Again, not a knock on him. Uh, Perhaps there is the right audience for him. Uh, But... It it was kind of weird to me when I uh, looked at how I was reacting to this. You know, it's, it's some dude, and yes, I have a lot of respect for this guy, but not necessarily for his musical ability, so why am I taking this so seriously? And then, Z, I think the third part of it was really the, the confidence that he had in his opinion. Uh, he was saying, yes, I know I'm right. I know you're going to come back. I know you're going to agree with me in the future. Again, not in a mean way. I, I think that he— actually has my interest at heart. He wants me to succeed. At least that's my reading. But he just had so much confidence. That overwhelming confidence almost shook my confidence. So I'm looking at this, and as I step back and had some distance between that encounter and today, I've gotten back on track. I mean, I nothing has changed. I still feel good about the work that, that we've put together about the vision that we are executing on about the fact that the music is really a portal into our philosophy and our life practices, so it ties in very closely with Dharma Media. It's exciting to me. It's something that um, I'm proud of. I'm glad I've put this thing together. But I'm just kind of looking at this and asking myself, why did I feel this way? You know, Was I looking for validation? Was I expecting something different? Do I just not have enough conviction in myself? Is it that the mind is looking for certainty? Uh, We've talked about that in the past, that the mind needs answers. So either I have to be right or he has to be right. How can we both be right or how can we be so far apart? I I just didn't understand it and, and that weighed on me. So these were some of the things that were going through my mind. And I'd love your perspective because we've talked so far about the theory, about the fact that your vision is a personal vision, There are limits to how much someone else can understand that. They might have other objectives in mind when talking to you. They may not always have your best interest at heart. Uh, So all of these things mean that we need to temper the weight that we give to criticism or at least understand the context. And sometimes we act, sometimes we don't. So all of that makes sense to me intellectually. But as you're hearing me and I'm describing what I went through and what I felt – What is your perspective? What's the best way to navigate those emotions?
1: Well, the first thing that when I hear and I listen to you, Vin, I think about why you were so affected by that. And and I heard certain things, and maybe everyone else could chime in. Um, You talked about how you didn't like his music. And it just didn't resonate with you. Didn't, not that you didn't like the person. His his art didn't resonate with you in terms of that area. Your relationship with him was good and your interaction and the exchange was good. But you didn't necessarily share his same artistic taste. Then you flip it around. He doesn't share your artistic taste. That's okay. But are you looking for certainty? Are we looking for certainty to the degree that it makes us freeze in our steps? Oftentimes, yes. Oftentimes, it does. And how do we find certainty? Where does certainty live? What neighborhood? What are the GPS coordinates of certainty? What factors can I put into this? What algorithms? What uh, equations can I put into this box that make it absolutely certain? Life doesn't work that way. So that's an opportunity of self observation, self-analysis, and self-critique. I would thank the person for awakening me. Hey, thanks. I, 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 that kind of threw cold water in my face, that I need to do what I do. Imagine, if you would, great artists who are toiling away at other things. Imagine Einstein listening to another f- physicist who didn't share the space-time view with him. And he'd sit in a room, a large room of people who had agreed upon a certain view. And he says, hey, I'm just wondering, what do you think about this whole MC Square thing? What do you think they said? Especially if they had been established and they were were the person to go to. They were experts in their field. They were the professor uh, that everyone turned to. And then here comes this uh, nappy-haired dude. That, that makes everything they said obsolete. What, 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 what do you think they would have said to him? What do you think they said to, about jazz music? Right? What do you think they say when you hear moderate people complaining about rap music? There was one of these uh, hate shows on TV. All hate all day. And the guy was offering a critique of rap music why it wasn't music based on his father being a music professor at some uh far right Nazi university. What 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 he liked is music, do you think? And he says, "Wow, I I they should take my advice. No, they shouldn't. You 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 have nothing to offer the conversation. Nothing." So, you want to I would want to think about myself and am I looking for certainty? No, you know, I'm not looking for certainty. I'm just looking for good odds. That's all. I'm want. i, I I'm hoping I can do better than 50-50. So if you can give me an opinion that helps me, because I'm going to look at all of the journeys of humanity and what did the, what did the conventional wisdom of the moment, what did the innate jealousy... The subliminal envy, avarice of other people say. Have you ever put out, seen the production of certain musicals that people says, no, you got to only do Fiddler on the Roof because that worked? Well, you know, when Fiddler on the Roof came out, I think people like didn't like it because it was a Jewish Fiddler or something. They said that'll never sell. Fiddler on the Roof will never sell because it's about a Jewish guy fiddling on the roof. People said stuff like that. What about Dance state of Harlem? All ballet companies were anti-dance because they said black women's butts were too round and it wouldn't work in ballet. My God. Think about the friggin' jet engine. They told people this, if you hit the sound barrier, it was like slamming into a wall and you would disintegrate and dissolve. All the experts of the day When Bob Beeman jumped 29 feet, two and a half inches, all the experts of the day said it was impossible for a human being to jump further than 28 feet. Based on aerodynamic, air density, um, the stretch shortening cycle, the rate of force development in muscles, they had an algorithm. He jumped 2 feet further than the world record. Then somebody else did it. Somebody else did it. But the interesting thing, all of those people just disappeared. They always just disappeared. They never hold they were never held to their critique. They never had to answer to their flawed theory. Isn't that something? So it's us that has to ask what if nobody believes in you? Do you believe in yourself? What about people who have been given dire diagnosis of diseases? And they've left treatment and just tried something different. They tried to eat better, exercise, went off to a temple, and ashram to get better. I see it every day. I have people who have been around the sun more times than me who are thriving in health. And every day people say, you know, I'm getting old. And you know what that means? No, what the hell does that mean? I have learned to take full account and full responsibility what's going on in my life. If I'm not as fit as I want to be, it's because I haven't committed to that. If I've committed to something else and I've taken the commitment from something else. So when we're pursuing our calling, our vision, our yearning. Other people can't hear it. But hopefully what we can do is build around us people that trust us. And they have faith in us. Just faith. And you have to ask yourself, when you go to somebody and you present your art, which is art? It's art. It means something different to everybody. And when I somebody presents my, their art, I may not like it, but I say, wow, that's different. It's interesting. It's not my cup of tea, but it's probably somebody else's. It's not the kind of music I necessarily like, but I, I could see the effort put into it. I could see your focus. I, I had a friend as a child, and his dad was an abstract welder. Like he would just weld random stuff together. And then whoever looked at it would see it as something different. And when we were kids, he, t- he told me, Yeah, my dad just sold that art piece for 50000 And so back then, it might as well have been a million because you could buy a house for 40000 I said, Your dad welded scrap metal? Yeah, shit. I learned to weld because of that. I can't, it looked like it's just a stack of junk, but somebody saw it as an expression of effort, sweat, energy, industrialism. And they put it in a, a museum. And the museum ended up moving it to another museum. They put in an auction house and it sold for millions. His dad was in a magazine for just welding stuff together that represented the, the 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 toil of industrialization or something like that. I asked his dad, is that what it meant? He said, No, man, I just had some scrap metal in the backyard and I thought that would look cool. I said, That's great. That's friggin' great. So we want to know when what we're listening to. And also, you want to know yourself. Why does that hurt you? You're going on an unknown adventure into unknown territory, into an unknown country, with the basic skill sets of a traveler. And you're going on this great journey. And I would hope that whoever you encounter or whoever you're leaving would say happy journey. I'll be here when you return. I support your process. I may not understand it, but I support your process. I've known it even then in simple ways. I've had people that come to me and say, I'm tired of being unhealthy. I want to be fit. And their own relatives, family members, loved ones, spouses, have fought them to the point where it almost destroyed the relationship and sometimes destroyed the relationship. You hear every day about people who get fit after years and years of being unhealthy and it destroys their relationship. Just like you hear the stories that improves the relationship. You would think 100% of times it would improve the relationship. But so many people love their normals. They love the normal. The brain seeks that, right? You mentioned that. Convention. But... In order to improve the brain, you have to task it. You have to make it uncomfortable. You have to challenge it. Isn't that something? So I would say, if we feel bad because we're not praised or not necessarily supported, it's really about looking at yourself because we don't want to be a slave to others. As the Tao said, look to others for approval and you'll always be their slaves. You'll start adjusting your art to their liking and you didn't even like their art. But now you'll find yourself... Adjusting yourself to make a person whose taste in art you don't like, you adjust yourself to make them like you, so you won't even like what you create. You see the
0: conundrum? Yeah, that's really funny, Z, the way that you put it, and you're spot on, that it's kind of this road to nowhere. You're always adjusting. You're always trying to be something that you're not, so that other people will like you so you can get whatever the rewards are of the day. And you see this in celebrity culture where people lose all sense of who they are. When I look at celebrities, sometimes I think it's got to be the worst position to be in if you approach it where you're saying, I've got to please the crowd. I've got to please the masses. I've got to keep their attention. Because then you're always doing more and more crazy shit. You're always... Worrying about what they're going to like and respond to. You're feeling insecure. uh, And you go insane. And then you see it. You see people who are at the top of their game, who've got everything, who've got the money, the awards, this incredible life on paper. And they kill themselves because they just can't tolerate the instability anymore of responding to the whims of the crowd. There's no anchor. There's no foundation. So what you're saying is is powerful. And as I'm thinking about it, it brings me back to some very simple elements of, of philosophy. We talk about Hinduism, this concept of Dharma, the name of our project, the idea of duty. Just do your duty without any expectation of the reward. We've said it before, you're entitled to nothing not even the fruits of your own labor. Don't worry about the success. Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about whatever it is that you imagine in your head. Just do what you have to do. That's what Krishna says in the Gita, that there's no rest for man. Man always has to keep on doing, keep on moving from birth until death. So you just do that. You immerse yourself in the process And that's when you become free. And it's actually ironic in some ways because we think about freedom as a state where we don't have to do anything of passivity, where no one's making any demands of us. But it's actually a very active state when we do what we have to do, but we're not bound to it. That's where the freedom comes from. It's the action without the aversion to the action or the expectation of the reward. And the reason I bring this up is you're talking, I'm thinking about that question you asked, Z, why did this have such an effect on me? And I think it had an effect partially because of this need for certainty. I am analytical, or at least I have been in the past. Maybe I'm engaging more of my right brain today, but Historically, I've been more left-brain dominant. So the uncertainty weighs on me. That's part of it. The other part, if I'm being honest, is the expectation. I've got this idea that what I'm working on, what we're working on, is going to succeed and that's going to bring certain opportunities and certain amounts of financial and personal freedom it might allow a different sort of life. I'm very grateful for the life that I have, but you know, th- there are other things, you know, certain limitations, just practical limitations that we deal with. Maybe would afford a certain ability to get rid of those constraints, uh, live in more of a, a raw, fulfilling way, and. I think that that idea it was threatened when I talked to this friend of mine, and it was maybe something that I was holding on to that I shouldn't have been holding on to, and maybe I wasn't aware of how much I, I was, but when that idea is threatened, it's kind of like a balloon popping or a piece of glass shattering, and suddenly you think, oh my God, if it's not this, then what? If this doesn't work out, what's going to happen? And the reality is, you know what, even if it never works out, even if no one gives a fuck, it's a hell of a ride. It's a fun process. Vin, I got
1: to chime in. You know, when I hear that, so many things are stirred up in my head. And I, I, I want all of uh, our opt-outs, all the people who are hanging out with us to consider this. One person didn't like what you were doing. How many people like what you're doing? How many people like what you're doing or inspired by what you're doing? How many? Yeah, there are a lot of people. How many? Far more than don't like it. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I would say it's about 80, 20 or 90, 10. And that's not enough.
1: The Vedas say it should be 50-50 if you're living your life to, to the truth of your existence. At the end of your days, half the people will like you, half the people will despise you, but everybody will revere you because you lived truth. And few people do that. Very few people do that. I have been told since my teacher died in 1990, when I went on this venture to develop integrative health and wellness programs for people and institutes, Every six months, people have told me there's no future in that. For 30 plus years now, there is no future. There is no future. Nobody's into it. I have people who have been with me from the beginning. I have uh, students who have come to me who had genetic lung issues that are still alive today. What is success and failure? Yeah, I grind, man. I grind. And we're trying to do this new project. So the grind is less. That I have whatever life preserver out there as I tread water, do whatever the hell it is. But you know what? I look at all these kids coming here that are together. I am proud in a way that I am proud of nothing in my life to know that when... One of them was in trouble. Everybody rallied around. They grape me to my last nerve sometime, but we've created a place. They showed me a picture the other day of all of them together cleaning the yard, fixing up our place because we couldn't afford to do it. They showed up on their own time and had a damn cleanup party. Don't tell me what success and failure is unless you've done that. I have people who were crippled who couldn't move their arms, who are now Tai Chi masters, yoga instructors, who were supposed to be dead. No, I couldn't get a friggin' bank loan, but everybody I taught could because I didn't look like the right kind of person that would run an integrative health institute or there'd be an achara of yoga or would be a Tai Chi master. But I've taught people who are now on the highest levels of teaching and in the media and so forth. You've seen some of them, we've met, you know their stories. But I've always heard that. And it never took my stride off. It's just like somebody yelling at a great boxer to get knocked out or yelling at a runner to fail or wishing the worst of your, 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 your adversarial football team or the oppositional team. Nobody lists, don't listen to that. You said 80% to 90% of the people you talk to like your work, and one person, 10% of them are indifferent, don't know what the hell they're talking about, and one person out of the hundred or thousand you asked said something negative, a person you didn't even like their art, their, their their art taste, and it brought you down? Let's look at all of us when we go through that. See, I've been so down, I couldn't go any further down. I know what it's like to have a snowball's chance in hell and get that chance. I'm surrounded by kind, loving, supportive people from every background on earth who show up one way or another and they love the work. And I've been told for 30 years, nobody's into integrative health. Nobody's into that. Uh, you can't make any money doing that. you can't do this you can't do that and more people have co-opted and plagiarized my writings and ideas than anybody you'd ever meet. this is the way it goes. I don't give I don't give two Siamese nickels for what people have to say good or bad because I'm really clear on what I'm doing. I want to do my best to mitigate suffering. That feels right to me. And in the process of doing it, many times I find myself broke and alone. But I've never failed. I've never not been successful. There's nobody that I look at and I envy who they are, that I say I wish I were them. But many people say they wish they were me. As I was sitting up earlier with the kids, and they had the box of old pictures, and I looked through uh, 30, 40, 50 years of my life's history. You know, I realized I just ended up here. I told uh, Caitlin today I had a picture of little Sophie. I said, you know, it seemed like it was yesterday she was born, but it's been 20 years. I had a picture of my 30-year-old when he was two or three, daycare, slobbering and playing. And I see the little ones here, slobbering and playing. And I said it was yesterday. And I've been doing the same thing. And the support comes in waves and surges. And at the 12th hour, that 23 hours and 59 minutes till doomsday, support comes. And even when it's scary like that, you know what I do, Vin The fine balance for me, I look at this world and I say, My success has never been an individual success, it's been the success of the reality I have in the world. Everybody, I try to bring everybody with me in my journey. Of success, abundance, good health, well being. Is that right, Clint? We try to. My abundance means that the people that I love, admire, support, care about, they also are okay. So we have to figure out what's our success. Your art is great, your spoken word, your talent is great. I don't have your talent. I saw you break through at the studio, the emotion. What you've worked through. We've had different journeys in life. I saw you interact with people I've known for 30 years. Hardcore street hip hoppers. Corporate executives. Who didn't know you from the man in the moon. And you flowed with them. That's a talent and a gift. I would challenge anybody who critiques you. Can you flow like me? Can you mix it up like me? Can you fit in like me? You got to ask them that, Van. Can they fit in like you? Can they flow like you? Can they get along with all kinds of people? Can they, yeah, you can do that. Once you get that, that damn rod out of your ass and you loosen up, stop crunching numbers and trying to look for certainty, you a badass dude. That's why you're my baby brother. But you're irritating as hell when you look for other people to tell you you're okay, because you know what, you're all right. It's a fine balance, bro.
0: Yeah, Z. Grateful as always for your perspective. Perspective, that perspective is everything. I mean, it just puts such clarity around the work that I'm doing and and the way. I move through this world, represent myself. You'd mentioned to me once something about channeling the divine, and maybe this is also relevant that we get very attached to outcomes when we think about things personally. But if we think about ourselves as conduits for something greater, a way to channel that life force, that creativity, then the pressure is off. Then we're just here doing our thing. Then we're just flowing. We're just moving, enjoying, creating. Without that expectation, we're in that state of doing, fulfilling our duty. So thank you, Z. I, I really love your your thoughts, your perspective. I know you have my back. I'll wrap it up over here and just say, Let's all be clear on what we're doing. Let's be clear on our vision, our truth. Maintain that clarity on the one hand. On the other hand, if we can learn from my experience, let's get rid of that need for certainty. Let's drop the expectation of any future reward. Let's just flow. Thanks, Steve. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.